One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another edition of the Work-Life Balance. We're so excited to have you guys with us. Um, and uh, I really have something very, very special lined up as we teased this last week um, and uh, was able to pull it off this week. So a crazy week for us, as always. Um, we've got a couple of new business ventures that uh, we're going to be really excited to uh, launch. Uh, more details about that to come. We're, we're not really at liberty to talk about them this week, uh, but we will be talking about these in the coming weeks. But there will be a, a new book launching, a uh, joint venture between uh, John Stenbeck and myself. Um, and we've got uh, our chief sponsor, CA, uh, involved in this. Uh, it's going to be very, very exciting. Uh, there will be some events planned around CA World in November in Las Vegas. Uh, so a lot more to come on that. Again, it's very early, um, so we don't really want to discuss title or details or things like that, but just please stay tuned because there'll be a lot more information coming out on the program um, as we start to wrap those uh, details up. Um, upcoming events for us, uh, we've got a private event coming up uh, July uh, 25th in Atlanta, uh, but the big event is going to be August 25th through the 29th in Orlando, Florida at the uh, John Maxwell International Certification. So all of my Maxwellites, I uh, look forward to seeing you guys in person. For those of you that listen to the program and will be coming to your first certification, please find us there. Uh, and we look forward to having you there. Reach out to us on Twitter or Facebook uh, and, and come find us. I know uh, Mike Leitner is going to be there. who has been on the program in the past. Uh, several of, uh, of our Maxwell uh, people are going to be there as well. Uh, lots of exciting details are going to be coming out there. I believe Dr. Robert Rome is going to be there as well. Uh, who is, has certified us as, as human uh, behavior consultants. Uh, so I think there's going to be some new program details coming out at the Maxwell event as well. So please join us in Orlando. That's in August. Uh, right after that, uh, we're going to be in, um, in Texas um, at the Resource Planning Summit. So uh, I believe that's in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, so we've got a great group of people that's going to be joining us there. So uh, please follow along always at rickamorris.com or you can find us at rsquaredconsulting.com. All of that leading up to the big October 6th event in Birmingham, Alabama. Of course, simulcast all around the world at live to lead L2L.JohnMaxwell.com, which is Cheryl Boschelder, John Maxwell, Dave Ramsey, and Warwick Dunn, uh, providing leadership and leadership lessons to everybody around the world simultaneously. Uh, again, go to L2L.JohnMaxwell.com to find where the event is going to be in your location uh, but you do not want to miss that. So that's all the wrap-up of, of things that are upcoming and things that happened last week. So let's get right into uh, my very, very special guest. So you guys have heard me talk about this gentleman several times. Uh, you know, I've talked about my past uh, and present. Uh, we talked about Daddy Camp last week. Um, and so, uh, you know, I was hoping I could get him on and, uh, with, with several arm twists and a uh, couple purple nurples. I actually got him to agree to, uh, to join the show this week. Uh, but this is somebody who, who's very near and dear to my heart. Um, he was the original uh, throwback. He, he's actually the original uh, uh, pride of West Orange uh, Warriors. Uh, he was the uh, original uh, dancing uh, gorilla for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And uh, now uh, we're, we're proud to bring him onto the show. He's my older brother. Uh, and again, somebody I really, really look up to. Uh, let me introduce to the show uh, Ron Thomas. Ron, how you doing, brother? 
Well, little brother, we're doing well. I'm I'm surprised of all the places we actually gathered to do this. We're in the middle of Granbury, Texas right now. We both live an hour apart from each other, and he had to chase me down in Texas to pull this off. But I'm looking forward to it. That's right. So we're in Granbury, Texas, celebrating our Uncle Gene and Aunt Joanne's 50th wedding anniversary. And, uh, you know, this is a place that we used to come for, for two weeks out of the year. Uh, Mom would send us out here uh, every summer. Um, and uh, we got a lot of childhood memories here. And so to see Uncle Gene and Aunt Joanne last night, and we're going to be celebrating their wedding anniversary on Sunday. Uh, but we've got friends and family. Our other brother, Jim, is, is taking the, the kids to the candy store right now, literally taking the kids to the candy store right now. Uh, and so we thought we'd come up here and, and do this radio show. But, Ron, uh, please introduce yourself to our audience and, and talk a little bit about you, a, a very, very distinguished military career. Well, I don't know how distinguished it would be. I'm, I'm, I'm 54 years old, and I, I spent uh, a little 28 years uh, as an active duty uh, member, both enlisted and as an officer. Uh, I did a variety of, of gigs while I was in the, in the military, and now I'm currently working for the Department of Defense uh, and uh, specializing in airport management. So uh, uh, through, uh, through the years, through the time past, we've, uh, we've encountered each other periodically and, and shared stories, and I think, uh, I think we'll share some of those today and see what we can do for you and, and uh, answer questions and whatever, whatever capability I can. But, it, you know, if it's secret, I may have to cut your head off. And, uh, and and put it in a safe, but uh, I'll try to keep it above, above board all the way. I don't think of a secret or not. You've done that all my life. So, but uh, I, I think uh, one of the things I've always appreciated about you is, is your humbleness in that. But, uh, I mean, you have had quite a, a distinguished career. You've, there's been multiple tours um, that you've served. You've been an OH-58 pilot. You've been a Chinook pilot. You you. There's countless people that I've run into in your career that, that knows who my big brother is, that, that owes a great debt of, of gratitude to my big brother, that, that have said either you've trained them, you've taught them, or been around. There's, there's countless things I know that you can't tell me that you've done, that you've either designed or brought to our military or engineered into our military. And uh, so let's just, let's just take a step back for a moment and, and trace that career for a moment. Where, where did you start? Where, where have you served? And, and just talk a little bit about that, if you would. Well, it's funny because just, just prior to coming up here, I was sitting downstairs playing, playing some guitar with, with some family. And, and if, I'd, if I'd had my way, if I'd had any measure of talent, uh, if I could sing and play guitar, I'd have been a rock star. But coming up to uh, high school, uh, I thought that's kind of where I wanted to go, was into the music uh, arena. And um, uh, a great friend of mine, David Simpson, uh, used to run some sound work for us. And I think we were playing uh, maybe a college or a college circuit or something like that. And uh, my buddy said, hey, man, I'm, I'm thinking about joining the military. And I said, oh, no, 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 we don't want to do that. And he said, no, I wasn't asking you to. He said, but I do need to get down there and take a test when you drive me down there because we've got to be back up here in a day, and, and I need help making the drive. So we uh, we headed down, drove down to uh, Orlando. I think we were up in North Carolina, I think, at the time. And uh, so I agreed, and, and we drove down. And I'm, I'm, I'll allow him. He walks into a Army recruiting office, and uh, I, I do too. I've been on the road. I actually needed to use a restroom, and I went in there and asked. I said, well, can I use your facilities? And they said, well, sure. And I assumed that they knew that I wasn't there to take the test. And, and apparently when I came out of the restroom, they, they thought I needed to be in there taking the test. So I was ushered into a room and we sat down and took a, an entry level test uh, to get in the army. 
And uh, I started to interrupt and say, well, I'm not here to take the test. And the guy said, well, you're going to be here anyway, right? You may as well take the test. So I, I you know, humored him, and I would have been there for an hour and a half or so watching other people take a test. So I thought, well, take a test and see what happens. Uh, a week or two later, we get the results back, and the letter comes in. My mom sees the letter and said, well, what's this? I said, well, I took a test. Not a big deal. I don't plan on joining the military, so don't panic. And, and uh, basically opened up the letter, and it pretty much said I could do just about anything I wanted to in the military. So Dave and I got together, and we went down to the recruiter, and they offered us some gigs, and David ended up walking out of the deal with, with a four-year uh, enlistment as an enlisted soldier in, uh, in the signal branch and, uh, and a $20,000 bonus walking out the door for four years. And I walked in there and said, what's the minimum time, hypothetically, if I was going to be in the Army, just what's the minimum time I could spend in the Army? They said, well, the minimum time is two years. I said, sign me up for two years. He said, are you sure you don't want to go for four? I said, nope, two years. I'm not making a career out of this. 28 years later, I retired <laughs> retired out of the Army, never got my $20,000 bonus. But it, it, for me, it goes to show you it's sometimes worth looking beyond what you think you know uh, and, and, and figuring out what else is out there for you. So that's how I got started. And then from there, we just... I'll let you pick it up from there, but we joined the military as an enlisted soldier and, uh, and I went into a signal field. I actually happened to be at the home right now, Uncle Gene, as Rick mentioned. Uh, he, he had mentioned to me, uh, you know, communications, you can't go wrong. Go into some form of communications, so no matter what we do, the world is going to have to communicate. Now, the phone may not be here. It may be, who knew? I mean, cell phones weren't even in existence back then. And, uh, but communication is the way to go. So I did. I, I spent eight and a half years uh, as a communication specialist doing uh, electronics and radio repair. And then I was afforded the opportunity to uh, go to flight school. And from there, I began my flying career. And so you go to Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And, um, uh, yeah, actually, my first, my first assignment as an enlisted soldier, I worked with, uh, with uh, an organization um, that is, is somewhat... Um, well, I guess they're probably known more now, the 160th, uh, Task Force 160th. Spent a little time doing some really cool uh, operations with them. And I think that's where I got my bug for flying. I really had no uh, idea that I wanted to fly or that I would even be good at it. Matter of fact, I was really good at what I did, and it kind of scared me about jumping into something else. What if I'm not as good as, at flying as I am at working on radios and electronics and and I was kind of known as the go-to guy. If there was a radio problem, they could come to me, and they knew they were going to get it fixed. Uh, I had a kind of an issue with that going into the uh, into the aviation. And I kind of kicked that whole deal around for two or three years. I thought, well, man, if I do it, what if I'm not good enough? I like being where I'm at. I, I'm, maybe it was a safe thing. Maybe it was I, was I was a bit of an all-star, and I was comfortable there. Uh, but the idea of growing into something new and not knowing how I would stack up against all the other uh, folks out there on the market uh, would be would be tough for me to figure out. So I kind of worked with it, and uh, and then I jumped in uh, flying. I had the opportunity to come back to the 101st, and then uh, turn from that. Did a lot of a lot of opportunities. We I, I flew in Alaska. We flew high altitude rescue in Alaska. Uh, we did several uh, uh, military operations. Uh, I've got five combat tours, and. Uh, um, each one brought its own specialty to what we were looking at and what we were doing. And uh, I, can't, I can't pinpoint any one of them that probably say my favorite because each one's my favorite for its own set of reasons. So 
What do you got, though? And you flew the first sortie of the Iraq War. Is that correct? Right. So uh, I had the opportunity. I was working uh, for a guy now, uh, retired uh, General Cody. Uh, he was uh, he was a commander for me, and we were on the initial we were on the initial push uh, into uh, the separation of Operation Desert Shield into Operation Desert Storm. So I had the opportunity to participate in that as well. So that's just the beginning. And, and what's interesting for me is is when you went into the military, you're 18, you're, you're 10 years older than I am, right? So I'm eight years old. So so I had glimpses, right? So so as you're doing these three or four years, for me, you know, they're glimpses. So you, you go away to the military, the next thing I remember is Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and, and, and seeing just the rows and rows of helicopters. I, the eight years of communications, that, that, that meant nothing to me. I, I, next thing I know, it's Fort Campbell. So we're going to come back, and we're going to start filling in some of these gaps. So we're, we're at the point that you're at the, you know, you, you, we're, I'm at, in college now, and, and I come by and see uh, the, the fact that you're, uh, you're about to go to the Iraq war. So I remember when the first shots were fired there and, and what I went through knowing that you were going to be over there. But uh, we're going to take a break right here. We're going to let uh, CA pay some bills for us. And we'll be right back with my big brother, Ron Thomas. And uh, you're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Today, every business is in the software business. And business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other. Where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage. Where applications aren't just part of your brand, they are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. 
To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back with another Closing Friday edition of the Work-Life Balance. We're here with my big brother, Ron Thomas, and uh, we just left where uh, uh, we were talking about he flew one of the first sorties of uh, the Iraq War. And uh, I can remember, I'm a freshman student at uh, the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and I actually am at volleyball practice. And uh, so it's at night, it's about uh, 7.30 at night, and uh, one, of the, uh, one of the players uh, who was late to practice comes in and says, hey, we're at war. And I said, excuse me? And they said, we're, we're at war. We, we fired the first shots. And I remember the, the feeling, because I had two brothers that, that were over there, and, and one that I knew was in harm's way. So it was a whole different feeling for me. You know, a lot of people had a lot of different reactions. Mine was fear. So I remember rushing back to the dorm, turning on the TV and, and, and trying to watch what was going on. But uh, uh, to our blessings, you know, both, both uh, my brothers come home safe. Um, and uh, when Ron comes home, he starts to, to open up a little bit later and start sharing some stories. And one of those stories, you know, I, I tell it in a much more fascinating way, I think, when I'm on stage now. But I'd love to hear you tell it. Um, but there, it, it wasn't always as easy, and there was a, a time that you were in real danger over there, Ron. What, what was that story? Well, it, it, yeah, you kind of had to pull it out of me here a minute ago because I was trying to figure out what phase we were talking about. So uh, a little after initial shots, uh, for the next uh, couple of weeks, we began doing uh, really it was what we call clearing operations. Uh, I was associated or aligned with a, uh, an attack helicopter uh, battalion. Uh, we were still operating uh, Cobra helicopters at the time. So the, the typical setup for a Cobra unit is in, in a particular company, you might have six to eight uh, uh, Cobra helicopters. And then you had the accompanying uh, aero scouts, or the aerial observers, uh, and four, uh, four different airframes. Uh, but it was the OH-58. So I, I, was, I was an aero scout. Uh, we uh, we would go out and we would we would operate in what we called a one-two mix. It would be one aero scout and then two attack helicopters, and uh, we would go out and we would set up uh, a screen, kind of a defensive position. Uh, we would go out and continue to do movement to contact uh, to find uh, the enemy forces. Uh, once the initial shots were fired, the uh, the uh, Iraqi military began to scatter. They began to move into defensive positions. Again, many of them were repositioning and to get to, to gain a different offensive uh, position. And one of the one of the particular missions we were given was uh, an Air Force uh, aircraft had taken out uh, a portion of a four lane bridge, which was critical as it crossed the the Euphrates River. And uh, uh, apparently, as the uh, as the explosive charge uh, contacted the bridge, uh, it, it left uh, one lane open. Uh, I didn't take out the bridge entirely, so uh, our initial mission was to go out there, uh, recon, find the bridge, determine whether or not it was passable. We had seen it from satellite imagery. We had not seen anybody uh, actually crossing, but we wanted to confirm that, that it wasn't possible to cross there. Uh, so as we as we continued to move forward, it was it was just barren desert up until you got close to the river, and then it became uh, a very uh, um, 
marshy type area, uh, lots of trees. And then if you look beyond it, it was just desert again. So while we couldn't see the river uh, with our eyes directly, and I don't know how people envision, you know, this, this huge river or this very famous river, it probably is very wide in some places, but it was basically tree covered. And, uh, and as we approached it, we thought, well, this, is, this isn't looking real good. If there's bad guys down in those trees, we're not going to see them. And our mission was to hop into the tree line and then proceed down the river, identify the bridge, and determine whether or not uh, we could uh, disable the bridge with internal weapon systems on board uh, our attack aircraft. Uh, so so as we, as we come up, there's very high-voltage power wires that we had to climb over and cross. And, and altitude is not your friend as an aviator uh, when you're operating in a combat environment. You want to stay... Uh, as low to the ground as possible, or at least concealed behind uh, other other obstructions or trees or mountains, so you less likely that you'll be shot at. Our biggest fear was was surface-to-air missiles, uh, which there was a lot of those on the battlefield at the time. Uh, and then again, small arms fire uh, is never your friend when you're flying a helicopter. Uh, we we climbed up over the wires, dropped down into the river. Uh, as we see it, we've got a tree line on the right side, a tree line on the left side. And we're going down, going down a river. Um, uh, the optics on the attack aircraft were, were better than mine. I had none. I had I had naked eye optics. Uh, whatever I could visually see is what I could confirm. Once we identified the the uh, uh, the bridge, uh, I called one of my uh, Cobra guys forward of me, who then could take a better look at it with their optics. Uh, as he was pulling in front of me. Uh, there was a wire that was strung from bank side to bank side, and he clipped that wire uh, with his uh, front rotor. Uh, it, it cut it, put it into his tail rotor. Uh, tail rotors give us the directional left and right movement, just like a steering wheel would in a car, and uh, and it's related to power applied. So uh, an aircraft that we operate with operates with torque. Uh, you pull power to climb. Uh, the nose of the aircraft has a tendency to want to go left, uh, you have to put in, you know, opposite pedal and keep the nose aligned with the direction you're going. Once he clipped this uh, this this steel cable, uh, whether it was a power line or not, we we can't confirm. But this steel cable across the line, it came into his tail rotor and wrapped up around his tail rotor. So now he has no uh, lateral movement as far as directional movement, turning left or turning right. Uh, he pulled power. The aircraft began to climb and spin uh, uh, up. Uh, in in that case. Uh, the best thing that, that your friend in an aircraft at that point is to get some forward airspeed and allow the aircraft to weather vane uh, into the wind. Uh, he did so. Uh, the other two aircraft, myself and the one other Cobra, we climbed out with him, and we got him to an area where he could do uh, what we call a running landing. He landed with forward airspeed into a into a, uh, a dried uh, lake bed or a dried uh, sandy bar. Uh, got in there. I uh, had to dismount one of my um, one of my uh, observers, and I was a two-man aircraft. I dismounted him. He went over and he checked on uh, the uh, the other crew. And uh, each time we would take one of those crew members, and I would pull him out, put him in my aircraft. My observer would stay on the ground protecting the other aircraft, and I would pull out. And then I had to set the other crew member down a safe distance away with an aerial aircraft over the top of him. Uh, the first one went pretty well. Uh, second one, we went in and pulled him out. By then, uh, actually, it, it turned out to be it was a soccer field. I guess we didn't think it was at the time, but the, the local townspeople came out, not necessarily Iraqi military, but the town people were coming out, 
trying to figure out what was going on. Uh, I got a call from my from my uh, other Cobra. Uh, they said it was getting a little dicey over there, so I had to pull out, go back and get my other member, take him a little bit further out. What we didn't know is when I dropped him off out there, we ran into a series of tunnels that were occupied by um, Iraqi military. And uh, when we got there, I, I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know if they thought we were a much larger force than we were, but they, they kind of came out of the ground like, like I would kick over an outmound. And that's kind of what it looked like to us as we were coming down. Uh, so it's, it's two of us in an aircraft with an aircraft over the top of us um, protecting us. And then I've got, I've got Iraqi soldiers coming out of uh, these tunnels. And I think we were probably more surprised uh, than they were. Uh, I think they were wanting to give up. Uh, we were not wanting to engage with an aircraft sitting on the ground with me holding a, a 45, you know, a 45 pistol. And uh, uh, my other air crew came back in. Uh, we got up, we pulled another scout over. They came over, and we sat down and uh, and and got everybody up and out of the way. Uh, end result was by the time we got all of that operation done, and I'll tell you, I was I was scared to death. I, I did not plan on pulling a forty-five. If you're a helicopter pilot and you're fighting the war and you got to fight your way out with a forty-five, somewhere in there that plan didn't go very well. So uh, um, they started to come up out of the ground, and what we did not know was uh, a day or two before that, uh, they had dropped flyers. Uh, the Air Force had dropped a lot of flyers saying, give up, uh, you know, turn yourselves in. Uh, we, can, we can negotiate this with you as individuals, not as a military, but for those of you who want to walk away from this event alive, uh, do so. Well, I guess many of them had processed that over the night, heard my little aircraft coming into their area and thought I was the guy that was going to, that was going to do it. Well, I promise you me and my, and my co-pilot, uh, with, with, with twin 45s was not going to be the, uh, uh, the rescue party for what turned out to be about 900 Iraqi soldiers. Uh, we, uh, we called it in. And as I continued to stay in the area and, pr- and provide updates as, as some infantry came in on, on Chinook helicopters, change 47s, I thought, man, I guess if I ever have to go up against the enemy again, I ought to be flying a Chinook helicopter. So uh, immediately following uh, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, I had the opportunity to go and, and transition into uh, Chinook helicopters uh, versus my, my payload of people was two. Uh, and they're 33 seated, but we've had as many as 50 to 75 Rangers uh, operating the back of a Chinook. So I think next time I go after an Iraqi army, uh, I'm going to do it with a Chinook. So I had the opportunity to fly Chinooks, and uh, and I and I did that for the for the remainder of my career. It took me to uh, Alaska. It took me to Afghanistan five more times uh, for other operations with the 10th Mountain Division, the 101st Airborne Division, and, um, and uh, another straight up learning curve. But because I had been associated with flying high altitude rescue uh, in Alaska. Uh, we had a lot of experience operating with oxygen masks. Uh, many of the many of the forces outside of Alaska or maybe even Colorado uh, operate below 10,000 feet where oxygen is not required. Uh, because we were the experts in, in high altitude rescue, I had the opportunity to go go to Afghanistan with other uh, divisions and uh, teach them how to fly with uh, oxygen masks in helicopters. Yeah, so I, as you can see, that's why I love that story. And, you know, the, the the polish of that of if we're going to put a copter down, the, the next time I want a full battalion in the belly. That's, that's that's pretty much what that comes down to. But 
in, in again, there's, there's, there's a tremendous amount of more stories that are just like that. And in, in we could spend hours upon hours of, of talking about that, but I appreciate you staring, uh, sharing that one with us. Uh, we're going to take another quick break right here and uh, we'll be back to talk with my big brother, Rob. Uh, so you're listening to the work-life balance with Rick Morris. We'll be right back. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward. And the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy. And the opportunities for businesses are endless. But only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back for our third segment here on the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon. You can always hit us up at Twitter at, at Rick A. Morris. Find us at rsquaredconsulting.com. Or email me at rmorris at rsquareconsulting.com. So we're visiting with my big brother, Ron Thomas. Uh, we were just talking about his tours in Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, of course, being an OH-58 uh, Air Scout pilot, uh, pilot with Chinook. I, I swear to several times that I think that you were doing training runs uh, from Fort Rucker to Fort Campbell. You, you buzzed my house. Um, but that would just be the the, the, the normal joshing uh, of that brothers would do. But... Um, so obviously being in the military, um, 
you know, being a leader yourself, you're, you're a CW4, which is, is quite distinguished in and of itself. Uh, you turned down the opportunity to become a CW5. That was certainly offered, but decided to uh, uh, become a, a civilian, now a, a contractor through the, the DOD. And, and now the, the airport manager running uh, Redstone Arsenal, uh, which the Super Cuppies just came through, and that was <laughs> huge news uh, in Alabama, which I didn't know what the Super Cuppies were until we were together July 4th at your house. But um, anyway... You've had an opportunity to work with, with some phenomenal leaders and, and obviously, you know, some great leadership moments. So do you have a couple of stories of, of some of those favorite moments? Yeah, I do. I've got a, I've got a couple. I'll show you as a, as a young leader uh, coming up in the enlisted ranks for the first, you know, eight, eight and a half years of my career. <clears throat> I think the, the Army has a very skewed view on leadership. I think there's, there's a couple of things that, that, you know, some I agree with, some I don't necessarily agree with, or maybe it's because I don't understand it, but uh, I had the opportunity to experience some things. And uh, one, I believe some people believe that leaders can be made. Um, I, I, in some cases, I like that argument, uh, and, and I'd like to see the, you know, the, the graph that shows how that's done. I'd like to see the profile and how that's done. I think, I think some people are natural leaders. I think some people don't know where to put their energy. Uh, an example would be, and, and I'm not condoning this, and I hope nobody thinks I'm trying to get people to enlist in the Army, but there are other countries uh, in, in, in the world that it's mandatory that folks do, do time and service. And, uh, and I, I struggle with that. I mean, we're a volunteer Army in the United States, and, and I think that's a great thing. Uh, but I also would, would tell you that I think there's, there's a lot of talent out there on the streets whether it's whether it's a gang leader, whether it's a a, a, a church leader, whether it's uh, and I'm not comparing the two, I just natural born leaders that are out there that may not necessarily know where to focus their energies. Um, one of the things that, that I was charged with as a young enlisted soldier was uh, first time I became a sergeant. Uh, I think I don't know if somebody told me this or if it was just something I believed. But the Army kind of teaches you you're responsible for your soldiers. So in, in the workplace, what does that mean? You're responsible for your employees. In the Army side, and God knows how many times I stood in front of a sergeant major somewhere, uh, one of my soldiers uh, missed a formation. Well, that soldier had to go stand in front of the first sergeant, right, and explain why he was late. Well, guess what? He's not the only one that was standing in front of that first sergeant his first-line supervisor, and then his second-line supervisor had to be there as well. And somehow, uh, it, it, I, I was led to believe that that was my fault. As a supervisor, what that soldier did, and uh, there was a particular instance, there was a particular instance that uh, I, was, I was called in to see the command sergeant major, the battalion command sergeant major, and, uh, and I don't know what exactly it was, but, but the gist of it was uh, a soldier uh, did something. Um, I don't think it was an unethical or an immoral thing. He was just, he had a, an issue, maybe he was late repeatedly. And uh, so, so uh, E4, the soldier, I think I was an E6 at the time, and my E7 came in, and we're talking to an E9 in, in scale of Sergeant Major being the E9. And uh, I remember getting a pretty good butt chewing. Uh, it, 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 we all got the butt chewing. Uh, the soldier got the biggest butt chewing, and then the soldier was dismissed. And then, uh, and then the, me as an E6 and him as an E7, we had to sit down there and talk to Sergeant Major. 
he had a plan on how are we we were going to uh you know rehabilitate this soldier and fix his problems and that if he ever got in trouble again it was going to impact my career and uh i didn't i didn't fully understand why i was going to get in trouble for something somebody else did uh, I, I knew in my heart that somehow i was responsible but i didn't understand the math behind it um as we broke up that meeting uh i started to walk out the door and the sergeant major called me back in and he said sergeant thomas uh staff sergeant thomas once you come in let me ask you a question and that was in my face he said are you responsible for your soldiers well, the natural thing I expected was the right answer was, well, yes, Sergeant Major, I'm responsible for my soldiers. He said, no, have a seat. And I was a little bit bewildered because I just got my butt chewed by a command Sergeant Major. And, and I, I said, Sergeant Major, I'm, I'm, I misunderstood you. He said, no, you didn't. He said, I asked you a question. You said you are responsible for your soldiers. He said, if your soldier goes out and gets a DUI, are you responsible for that? And I thought about it, and I said, well, no, I'm not responsible for that. He said, if he goes home and and uh, and tears down a neighbor's statue in front of his house because he doesn't like it, are you responsible for that? Well, now I'm figuring out that he wants the right answer. No, I'm not responsible for that. He said, you're right, you're not. He said, let me change your, the way you think right now. He said, not everybody buys into this, but I want you to understand it. You're not responsible for your soldiers. You're responsible to your soldiers. And I said, okay, and I, I kind of I bit my lip for a minute, and I thought that one through. And he said, here's what I mean. He said, you're responsible to ensure your soldiers know where to be, what time to be there. You're responsible to make sure they have the right tools to do their job. You're responsible to make sure they are trained to do their task. So apply that to today's business community. I don't know. what Rick, you tell me. I don't know what people believe to do. Do, and, and it's funny because I was in Sitka, Alaska. Uh, we had landed aircraft later on as an officer. We had landed aircraft. And I'm sitting in a room of about 40 people on air crews, and we're going to be doing ship operations. And uh, and they gathered everybody together. And I'm looking. It was a it was a two story gym. We're looking down at a, a basketball floor. We're kind of a, upstairs where it might be a weight room. And they gather everybody over there. And I'm listening to a lieutenant, 26 years old, telling everybody, "All right, guys, behave." Don't want you to go downtown and get in trouble. You know, we're, we're working. Uh, no beer tonight. Uh, no rental cars. Don't want to hear anything about complaints from anybody downtown about you guys roughing up the neighborhood. Be responsible. And for a moment, I just kind of sidestepped out of that, and I thought, man, what if I was in Las Vegas at a AT&T convention or a, a big business convention? Would that president of that organization ever gather everybody up in a room and go, okay, everybody, be good? Whatever you do is going to reflect on this company, and I want you to behave. So uh, all of our leaders somewhere along the way have this mentality that you're responsible for. And I think if more of our leaders understood you're responsible to, uh, I think it would change the outlook. And, and I'm not here to uh, you know, say one way or the other. I, I have learned so much in the military. But when I walked away that day, my approach to how I led soldiers was modified. So I think you bring up a beautiful point. I, and, and so it leads to one big word for me, which is accountability. And it's accountability yourself, accountability others. Um, it's another big word to me, which is value, right? So I value people, I value others. Um, and, I, and I think that that's a big word that people lack 
um, in in all aspects. Um, I think the difference in the military than the business world is that if you're not accountable to yourself or accountable uh, accountable to your soldiers, accountable to your task, people die. Yes. That 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 raises a level, right? If you know people that are at desk job, if they're not accountable, then you know a, a, a report's not done. <laughs> there, there, there's a different aspect there. Um, so I, I I appreciate that, and you know you certainly spent a, a tremendous amount of time in South Korea, which that is a rule that that. I think by the time that they're 19 or 20, they have to serve two years in the, in the military there. Um, so I, I think that that's an interesting perspective. I think, um, and I, I struggle with this as well. I don't know that I could, as accountable as I am now as an adult um, to my business, I learned that at about age 32. <laughs> I think at 18, I would have been horrible in the military. I think I would have been worthless, but, but, that's not to say I wouldn't have been forcefully learned at 18 and, and, and how could I have learned and how good would I have been now if I learned those lessons at 18, 19, 20, 21 um, versus the school of hard knocks that, that I went through. Um, so I think that those are all interesting perspectives. The other thing I think is frustrating to me, um, especially around that is the career politician. I, I, because right now we don't elect people that have lived. We don't elect people that have learned and don't elect people that are accountable uh, because you can't because of the 24 hour news cycle and things like that. It, it, so if they've ever made a mistake ever that can be caught, then, then they, they don't get picked up. Right. So, um, so I think that those are all interesting aspects of, of leadership, but I love, I don't think I've ever really heard anybody put it that eloquently. Uh, including some of the people I work with today and Seth Godin and, and, and John Maxwell, but being um, uh, responsible to versus responsible for, because I think people do feel that they're responsible for their actions and things like that. I really like responsible that. Responsible for is, is, is easy to say. I don't know how many people are truly responsible for, uh, but the hard work is being responsible to and working to support your workforce, working to support your team. Uh, send them out in the woods and don't give them the right tools uh, you know, they'll, they'll just, they'll fall apart in the woods, you know? So it's, uh, it was, it was, it was a great lesson for me. Not everybody bought into it as I continue to grow in the military, but I got a lot of people scratching their head going, I understand what you're saying, but I know if one of my soldiers screws up, I'm still going to be standing in front of Sergeant major. I said, I got that part. That's the responsible for. So I think we're going to take a break here. This is going to be our uh, final break uh, for this session, so we're going to let CAP our final bills uh, for this session, and uh, you're going to be right back here on the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Today, every business is in the software business. And business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other, where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage, where applications aren't just part of your brand, they are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end -end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, 
Build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward. And the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy. And the opportunities for businesses are endless. But only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we are back live from Granbury, Texas. And, and I'm not going to lie. I think Granbury, Texas was literally built on the sun. I, looking outside, I think it's, it's registering 147 outside is it's, it's what it feels like here. But uh, we're back with um, Big Brother Ron Thomas. I, I have somewhat of a silly question, and I don't know if it's going to make any sense to anybody else but my brother and I. But uh, one, one quick question. Um, so when dad would wake up every morning, he'd come out and ask me a question. He'd say, uh, what's the price of rice in China? Did he do that? Did he do that to you as well? Cause he'd get mad if I didn't answer. Well, I, I didn't have an answer, but I, uh, I, I, I knew where to send him to find the answer. <laughs> yeah. There would be times that, that I'd answer and it seemed to satisfy. There'd be, t- so I'd, sometimes I'd say 37 cents and that would satisfy. There, I'd say I don't know. That seemed to satisfy, and there, there was there. It, but if I didn't answer, well, I would, I would be in big, big trouble. A long time ago, you don't have to be smart. You just have to know where to get the answer. <laughs> and I'd send them after the answer. <laughs> so I, I had a long conversation with Remo, my son, um, at Daddy Camp. But I, one of the things I regret now and not having him around was wondering if there was ever a true point or was that just the conversation starter in the morning? I think it was a conversation starter. I think sometimes as we grow as, as parents, you got to find a way in the door, you know, without just sounding like a goober, you know? Uh, and so, yeah, I think, I think it opened the conversation. I think you, I think you do it with remote times. I do it with mine and I started over again. I've got a four year old, uh, so sometimes I'll 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 just do something just to get the get it started and see where it goes from there. But every morning like clockwork, he'd come out, pour those grape nuts. Son, what's the price of rice in China this morning? <laughs> but, 
Hey, I don't know. Yep. So coming back, um, so one of the questions we ask every single guest on this uh, program, so what is the best advice you've ever been given? Well, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I appreciate, you know, the, the intent of the show, uh, the work-life balance. Uh, after being a, a career soldier, um, work-life balance was a difficult thing. I, I don't think that we consciously... Uh, understood it. Uh, at least I didn't consciously understand it until later, later in my years in the military. And I can say that being uh, that, you know, I prided myself in being, being good at my job. I really did. I, I, I was reliable. I was dependable. I was, I was, I didn't necessarily strive to be the go-to guy, uh, but I think because I took what I did seriously, uh, I kind of became that. Uh, I think as, as, uh, leaders in the military or even business leaders, when you've got something you need done, you have a choice. I can go to the guy that's going to complain about it and probably not get it done to the standard that you want it done, or I can go to that guy. I can go to my ace in the hole. What happens is when we do that as individuals and you become that go-to guy, whether you intended to or not, they have a tendency just to wear you down you get all those, hey, I need this right away. And it's because of your capability. It's because that you're qualified. It's because you're, you're, you're attentive to the details and, and you kind of, you already know what he's looking for. You have a tendency to be able to do that. I think the time that it got me, the, the it first impacted me, uh, where I really had to figure out how to strive for that work life balance was, uh, my daughter's birthday party. Uh, somebody was supposed to fly a mission. I think we were doing a drug interdiction mission uh, with Kentucky uh, as a state and doing some work, and somebody was scheduled to fly. Now, whether we were sick or whether something came up in his life, I can't recall, but I got this phone call that said, hey, uh, I, need, I need a backup pilot. I need you to come in. I need you to fly this mission. I'm laying out the backyard, picnic tables, uh, crepe paper, and, and little girls stuff, getting ready for a birthday party. And I get this phone call, and I looked at my wife and said, Babe, I think I'm going to have to go in. And she, her response was supportive, one, because it's, it's what we do in the military. I knew she didn't like where I was going with the conversation. She looked at me, and she said, Is it really that important to miss your daughter's birthday? And I thought, You know what? I've never tried that before. So what I learned to do, and I used it very sparingly, was when I had something that was important to me and work had a potential to interrupt or disrupt my plan, uh, when that leader calls you, that, that, that business partner calls you and says, I need this from you and I need it now, this, that, the decision is yours, yes or no, and you bear the full weight of that decision. So I tried this and it worked. I called that, I think it was a lieutenant or a captain. I called him back and I said, you know what? I'm the guy. I'm the guy to do this job. Um, and, and I can probably do it as good as any other. Uh, let me ask you a question. Do you think it's important enough that I should leave my daughter's birthday to come do it? Because if you do, guess what? I'm in the military. I still take orders. If you do, and I didn't say that part to him, but that was the point. If you think it's important enough I should leave my daughter's birthday, tell me what time you want me there and I'll, and I'll be there. 
And I said, call me back and let me know what you think. I didn't even let him discuss it on the phone. Hung up the phone, and now the decision's back on him. Should I disrupt his day with his daughter on her birthday, or could I pick up the phone and maybe wrestle with another guy for 20 minutes, knowing that I could still make him do it as well? And uh, I've only had to use that a few times, but it became, uh, it became that catalyst for me to be able to begin that work-life balance. And uh, uh, I don't recommend you do it a lot, because <laughs> at some point, you know, it can be it can become detrimental to your career depending on who you're doing or what you're doing. But uh, in those rare instances when it was something that was so very very important to me, and uh, and and as a as a military member, service member, you know, we do what we're told, uh, whether you like it or not. Uh, but I did I did put it back on him, and he said, you know what, I would not want to leave my daughter's birthday to go do this. Don't worry about it. I got it. I'll get somebody else. Uh, and, and for me. Uh, that was the first time I really kind of began to understand the work-life balance. Uh, I got up at, at, you know, five in the morning. I drove an hour. Uh, I lived in Nashville, and I commuted to Fort Campbell, Kentucky. I got off at 5 p.m. I got home at 6 p.m. We kissed the kids and, and ate dinner and put them to bed. And I was trying to find time to balance that. My weekends were my time with my kids. We had bedtime stories, and we had good morning kisses and all that business. But, uh... But I think it's it's take the decision off of you, and sometimes you have to put it back on your leadership, and uh, and make sure that that's what they they want. Because if I had I had I not told them it was their birthday, then it was my decision to leave my daughter's birthday, and that and and that alone by itself will stress you. It can stress a relationship, it can impact your relationship with your children, and uh, sometimes you just gotta let your boss know what you're up against before you make that decision to go work for 15 hours to accomplish a task. You know, so so for me, uh, I think that was it. It's, it's trying to figure out how to strive for that work-life balance. I think that's a great point. In, in today's environment, current corporate world, what what's happening is, you know, nights and weekends used to be something that was really for those key strategic projects, those key things. And now it, it's the norm. It's the norm. Yep. You know, 50, 60, 70-hour weeks. And, and so that's something I actually, you know, talk about on stage. So... Uh, we're coming to a close. So, again, I, I truly appreciate you uh, doing this. And, um, you know, you hate when I get sentimental and you, you hate when I get mushy. Um, but, uh, you know, I remember the day very clearly when you left for the military. Um, you and I didn't have uh, the, the relationship because, you know, you were gone. And uh, so having this second chance that we've had, um, you being home now, um, and, and having our families together and, and getting a chance to have Christmas together and 4th of July together and us being here now for Antoine and Uncle Gene um, has given us this, this wonderful blessing and, and something that we're truly taking advantage of. And um, I, I think one of the, the greatest memories that, that I will always have at this point um, and something I haven't shared with you even yet, uh, but something I talked to my wife about uh, when she got home from Barbados during Daddy Camp, uh, but one of the greatest conversations I think we've ever had was me, you, and Remo on your back porch on 4th of July. It was a phenomenal conversation. Yep. And watching you give big brother advice to my my young son was the coolest thing that I got to sit back and watch. And, now, and Remo's a great kid. He's going to go a long, long way. He's, he's, the emotions are there. The, the, the brain function is there. Yeah. He's sharp as his attack. And uh, I, no, I enjoyed that as well. That'll go down well, as one of my favorite 
you know, it, 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 for me, Remo not getting to meet daddy was a big deal. So him having Uncle Ron is a big deal. And so uh, I thank you for that, and I can't wait for many more of those conversations. So we're going to stop the mushiness. We're going to let the listeners go, and we're going to go have a great time at the family reunion. So thank you, everybody, for checking in. We're going to be back next week. Um, we're going to have Joan Wright on the show. So Joan Wright is somebody we support through Child Care Resources. We're going to be talking about a fantastic event that we've been running, Fairy Tale Ball, uh, and something that the uh, R-Squared Foundation helps out with, uh, which helps uh, the inner-city children of Birmingham. Uh, and so just talking about uh, what it's like to run a foundation like that, what she's been doing for so many years, helping uh, uh, the young children of Birmingham, what it's like to run a 501c3 and really run a work-life balance in that kind of arena. Uh, so it's going to be a fascinating conversation. Uh, and our Live to Lead event in Birmingham is supporting her charity uh, and somebody that I've been working with uh, really for the last 15 years. So it's going to be a phenomenal conversation. So please tune in next week. And join us for that. And until then, we'll talk to you next Friday. You've been listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.